Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context. That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall, so this spring we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks, and enjoy. reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, your love and your presence surrounds us and envelops us and uh, is a womb for us to grow. Sometimes it's hard to feel that presence. Sometimes our world's confusing and disorienting. And so we pray that in this moment, as we hear your word, we will feel your presence and know your peace. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, which is one of the few Sundays when like 
normal people know what we're going to talk about in church. We, we know we're going to talk about the, the triumphant entries, one of the things we call it. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and, and the crowd goes wild. Some of us may even remember that this is sort of this joyful moment where, where Jesus is celebrated as the long-awaited Messiah. But I wonder if we know how we're supposed to feel on Palm Sunday. It's a joyful day. We're celebrating, but it's also in Lent, which is the church season when we're like not supposed to feel happy. And this, this kicks off Holy Week, which is the saddest week of the year where we meditate on the death of Jesus. So how are we supposed to feel on Palm Sunday? I mean, honestly, I don't really know. It's sort of my job to know. And I found myself again this year being like, how are we supposed to feel? Which is also sort of funny because everyone in the crowd does know how they're supposed to feel. They're, they're almost being told how to feel. They're being told to get excited because the Messiah has arrived. For hundreds of years, the people who have been waiting for a Messiah that would overthrow the, the sort of the brutal Roman rule, the oppression that they lived under, they've been waiting for someone who come into Jerusalem with power and strength. They've been waiting for someone to show up on a donkey. For real. Because the people know that, that the great King Solomon, probably like the last great king of Israel, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people know that the prophet Zechariah said that Israel's deliverer, Israel's savior, will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Basically, the people know that dudes on donkey back overthrow governments. And this dude on donkey back has... Yeah, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Sorry. This individual riding a donkey has performed great deeds of power. That's what they say. They're cheering because they've seen his great deeds of power. power so they know he's for real. The, the Messiah is here, and everyone is overwhelmed by the feels. Or, or like, according to researchers who study the brain... This dramatic entrance has triggered a dopamine rush for the people in the crowd. Basically, when good things happen, our brains release a hormone called dopamine that makes us feel good and excited. Some of y'all may have heard of this before. You might know about it. But if a good thing has happened before, like something's happened once and we expect it to happen again, our brains receive an even bigger load of dopamine. And, and this research that I'm, I'm sort of citing actually comes from studies on addiction and why people get a rush as they anticipate getting high. It's the anticipation. During the expectation, we receive this rush of dopamine because we're really excited for what we know is coming, 
And then when the thing we expect arrives, we get even more dopamine. That, that moment where it looks like our expectations are being met, it feels like just about the best feeling in the world. And that's what's happening with the crowd. They, they know God has been faithful in the past. And they know that God can save. They know that God overthrows occupiers. And they know this because it's happened before. Jewish history has taught about the hero Judas Maccabeus. He defeated the Syrian army and freed the Jewish people. And when uh, Maccabeus, Judas Maccabeus, when he entered Jerusalem, you know what the people did? They waved palm branches and sang hymns. So when the people see Jesus riding in on a donkey, their brains are swimming with dopamine. They, they feel like their expectations are about to be met. So they break into psalm, they wave their palms, they throw down their coats, and they announce that Jesus is the king. Their brains are acting as if Ro- the Romans have already been defeated. And they have not. Jesus will not live up to expectations. Uh, The people are expecting Jesus to be a political liberator, a strong, powerful king. But right after this grand scene, this triumphant entrance, Jesus doesn't, doesn't entirely act like a strong king. I mean, the first thing he does is start crying. In the very next verse, after our scripture ends, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and says, your enemies will surround you, attack you, and completely crush you. Oh, and then he also says that they'll kill your kids. How's that? And then after that, Jesus goes into Jerusalem he trashes the temple and says that uh, the people should pay more taxes. I mean, just imagine a politician arriving to a cheering crowd and then telling them, when I become president, your homes will be destroyed, your families will be killed, but first I'm going to destroy church and raise taxes. Vote for me. It it's fair to say that, that the way Jesus sort of launches the week is a little bit disappointing. In fact, it feels like Jesus is actually trying to disappoint them. But, but I don't think that's quite what's happening. I don't think Jesus is trying to disappoint them. Jesus is just trying to disillusion them. Because disillusionment is way better. But for real, let's, let's think about what happens when we're disillusioned. Like, what does that word mean? It means you lose an illusion. Uh, Jonathan Merritt has this book called Learning to Speak God to God, Learning to Speak God from Scratch. And, and he says that disillusionment 
is what happens when you take a lie, like a lie about the world, a lie about yourself, a lie about those you love, a lie about God, and you replace that lie with the truth. Disillusionment shatters our fantasies, tears down our idols, and dismantles our cardboard cutouts. It occurs when we discover that God doesn't conform to our expectations, but rather exists as a mystery beyond those expectations. In one sense, disillusionment is just owning up to a lie that we believe. And and I think we all tell lies, like, you know, lies about the world, lies about ourselves, lies about God. And, And I don't mean this in like in a malicious sense, like we're plotting something. But the most dangerous lies are the ones that begin with earnest desire. Like our desire that God would help us find a loving spouse or that God will help us keep us healthy so we can provide for our families or that we'll have kids. Like these these are all beautiful desires. But it's easy to turn our desires into God's plan for our life. It's easy to believe that God is exactly the God we want. And, you know, all we need to do is find a few, voice, a few verses that, that support our hopes, <laughs> spend a few years with a pastor telling us we want it, what we want to hear, and, and before we know it, we can have a really narrow view of God. That, and, and we expect the God that acts exactly like we want. And that, that actually will work out okay for us, to have a narrow view of God that only acts in a particular way we want, as long as, as life goes according to plan. But I think we all know that that's rarely the case. You know, we get sick and lose a job. We, we never find that perfect someone, or maybe we find that someone and they leave us. Who knows what it is, but when we fix our expectations on God, and, and those expectations aren't met, we, we can become disappointed and resentful and ready to quit the whole thing. We, we can end up like that crowd in Jerusalem that looks at Jesus and says, save us, our king. And then like five days later, looks at Jesus and shouts, crucify him. They're, the crowd is hurt because they hoped. They let themselves believe that, that things were about to be different. And, and then Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And, and actually, again, to sort of go back to it, all the dopamine that had flooded their brain suddenly disappeared, taking with it all the hope and joy they came from fitting God into their expectations. Just sort of like more, more generally, expectations can make us feel so good and excited but then when they're not met, they can make us feel terrible. The, the same research I was reading and mentioned earlier explains that the moment when we realize that 
like all the things we hope for, they, they just aren't going to happen. Like in that moment, our dopamine levels plummet from an all-time high to an all-time low. <laughs> and, and I think that all I need to do to illustrate that moment, to remind you how that feels, is show this picture. Do y'all, do y'all remember that feeling? Right? The, the stomach ache that came when we were so certain that the Seahawks were going to win the Super Bowl and there was like just a few seconds left. Yet we were there emotionally. I think I was in a room with like 25 people and I don't remember a sadder room than that room. And, and that feeling, like that's life. That's sort of how our brains work, how our body chemistry works. But it's really tricky when that that dynamic of expectation and huge disappointment enters into our spiritual life. Unmet expectations of God can, can result in anger and resentment. But they can also result in something worse. Just completely missing God. When, when we expect God to look a particular way or expect God to act a particular way, then that becomes the only version of God we can see. You know, Christ could be in our midst, but if our expectations of what Christ looks like aren't being met, then we might not see her. I think this is what what Craig Barnes meant when he said that that nothing makes it harder for us to see God than our expectations of God. And you know, I also think that this is why Jesus acts like the the second worst politician I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. it seems that Jesus sets up this whole dramatic scene. Like he does it all on purpose to help break people's expectations, to make them disillusioned, to help them see that God is bigger than anything they can understand. I think that, that being disillusioned might be the first step to finding God in our just chaotic and confusing world. Uh, One one of my favorite authors, Barbara Brown Taylor, describes disillusionment as the sacred experiences that cut us down to size and remind us of our smallness in this massive, expansive universe. These experiences are often painful, because they, they make us, they force us to shed the lies we've mistaken for truth. But, like, as she puts it, we find out what is not true and what we are set free to seek what is. If we dare to turn away from the God who is supposed to be in order to seek the God who is. You know, and, and disillusionment is where Holy Week starts. This, this week that's too terrible and too beautiful to make sense. A week that I think a lot of us still struggle to understand. 
a week where we're, we're invited to notice our disappointments. Just Because I don't think we can ever like rid ourselves of having expectations. But maybe we can have a practice of, of noticing what disappoints us and wondering what illusions are being shattered. This is a week where I think we can ask ourselves, how might disillusionment open us up to experience God beyond our expectations? And, and actually, I'll, I'll mention this part now, because throughout Lent, we've been, you know, uh, we've passed out these little pieces of paper, and we've been uh, writing on them different things. And, and so this week, in just a few minutes, you'll, you'll have, after I sit down, we'll have a few minutes. And I invite you to, to write on that paper if, if there's any illusion in your life that might need to be shattered, any expectations that might be limiting God in your life. And also know that these won't be read. This is, we're going to turn this into an art project. Um, and, and if you write something on there, then during the offering, you can just pass it into the offering basket. So in, in just a minute, we'll reflect and then take a moment to, to write how expectations might be limiting God or, or what illusions in your life might need to be given up. Because this is a week beyond expectation. Holy Week is a week of sadness and salvation. When, when the Messiah chose a path of peace and sacrifice. And today is this, this strange day of joy where that happens to, to begin a week where God meets us in our brokenness and in our pain. And we truly know that God is with us. So I invite us both to celebrate and mourn as we turn away from the God who was supposed to be and find the God who is now and evermore. Amen.